when we're practicing on a long-term basis, giving up the lay life to live in a monastic setting, whether it's as anagarika or novice or as a bhikkhu. We have to remind ourselves from time to time what the purpose of the practice is, make sure that we're heading in the right direction. With the practice of meditation and training the mind, training the heart, we have to keep reminding ourselves what the purpose of it is, what we're aiming for. But without making that a burden that we use just to judge ourselves if we haven't reached our goal and then feel maybe we're no good or not up to it. But simply as a skillful means, we remind ourselves what direction we're heading so that we can reflect wisely on our practice. So we're all looking for peace, happiness. And this has to come internally from the mind itself. We have a certain amount of peace from the place we live. We live in the forest, so it's quiet, not a lot of activity from human beings. Not a lot of sense stimulation in the forest. But even then we can still find discontent living in a quiet forest if we're looking for it. We can be discontent with our dwelling or the climate or the food that we obtain or other people who live in a community, and so on. Even in a quiet place we can find problems, we can create problems. So we have to work just to appreciate the quietness, maybe the, the whole picture, that generally the forest is quiet, even though there's still certain aspects of forest dwelling that is not perfect. We do still have to encounter some unpleasant experiences sometimes, like the monks on Tudong sometimes they meet with creeping things, insects, snakes, so on, or weather change from hot to cold to wet to windy. There'll always be something, even in a quiet place. But generally we learn to appreciate that this is good enough. We develop a sense of contentment with the requisites, with the place, with the food and so on. This helps the mind to settle down so we can develop more inner qualities of peace. We have to reflect wisely on our 
living situation so as not to be constantly agitated or complaining in our mind about the place or the people or the weather or whatever. We work on that to develop a sense of contentment, appreciation. Then we move inwards and it's good to remind ourselves of what qualities we're developing that make up a peaceful mind. And we can, sometimes we talk very simply, like in Thailand, when you live with the forest teachers, and they teach you, they say, when you meditate, try to bring your mind to, and your practice to a state where you have, you're experiencing gai bao, jit bao. Gai means body, or rupa. Jit means mind. Nama, bow means light, at ease. So this is just a simple pointer to what we're doing with bringing up a sense of ease or lightness in body and mind through the practice. But that doesn't just happen by itself. There's causes and conditions that we experience lightness of body, lightness of mind. If our character likes to analyze and investigate more deeply, we can study the suttas and the Abhidhamma, really go into it. What does a peaceful, wholesome state of mind involve? What's made up with? What does lightness of body and mind compose of we have the what we call the jetasikas sopana jetasikas what they sometimes call the beautiful mental factors that arise with wholesome states of mind so the way the Abhidhamma puts it out some of the mental factors wholesome mental factors are there in every single moment of a wholesome state of mind. They like sata and faith and confidence. It's something that keeps arising with wholesome mental states. There'll be sata. There'll be hiriotapa, sense of shame and fear of the consequences of wrongdoing, of unwholesome actions. I'll be there with every wholesome mental state. Adosa alopa, non-greed, non-anger. So contentment and kindness, compassion. These are qualities that arise with every wholesome state of mind. They'll be there. So obviously they're linked and they have a causal condition, conditional relationship, and they support each other. When we have faith and confidence in the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha, in what we're doing, in our potential to practice and to improve ourselves, we have confidence in that. Well, it naturally supports the arising of other wholesome mental factors. 
And when the mind is wholesome, there's a certain state, sense of calm and ease already. So the mind is more sensitive, more aware to what is unwholesome. So we have that sense of hiriotapa, guarding the mind at that point. We don't want to let it fall into a wholesome, unwholesome mental state because we know that will agitate the mind, lead to the making of negative karma. We don't want that because we appreciate the peace and the ease of mind that we have. So you have Hiriotapa there, guarding the mind, not wanting to give in to unwholesome states at that moment. We have lack of greed, lack of hatred at that moment. When the mind is wholesome, then you're not going to be caught into ill will, not going to be caught into greed in different forms, desire for objects of the senses, pleasures and so on. It's just a simple reflection, these basic qualities, wholesome qualities, they make the mind beautiful, they make the mind serene, they lay the foundation for all the other wholesome mental factors to arise, the samadhi and insight that we are aiming for. But obviously they have to be there, so we have to be appreciating just where our mind is at, whether these qualities are coming up or not, whether they're present or not. And if they're not, then we that's part of the practice, is to bring up faith, bring up hiriotapa, bring up non-greed, non-anger, and so on. Sometimes just through wise reflection, sometimes through following others' examples, sometimes just through awareness of what is wholesome and unwholesome, quickly discarding the unwholesome. Then of course there's many other wholesome mental factors, jetasikasis, mental factors, which arise at different times in the practice, maybe not all together, but they'll come up. Again, the beautiful mental factors, what, what make up a wholesome mind state. So with samadhi we have all these pairs of what we call um, Mental factors of body and mind, gaya, lahuta, jitta lahuta. So like, this is literally the lightness of body, lightness of mind. And when the mind becomes calm through samadhi practice, meditation, you actually feel calm in the body, feel calm in the mind. Pasadi is another one, tranquility of body and mind. Together, in the way they, the Buddha sometimes talked about it, you know, it's body and mind, it's a very obvious, clear experience. Both body seems to calm down and mind calms down. But also when they talk about body, they're talking more about the body as it's experienced internally. So in Thailand we talk about gai tip, your divine body. It means the, the mind body which obviously affects the physical body, but it's how your mind is relating to your body. Again, it's 
described by the presence of jetasik as mental factors. So the mental factors, your state of mind and the qualities of mind are calm when you have calm, a calm mind-body. And obviously at that time you, your physical body feels more at ease. But that could even be when you're experiencing pain. Maybe the body is ill or there's some injury or just the pain of sitting for a long time. But the mind-body could still be at ease with that pain. That's a more subtle way of experiencing the body that we become more aware of the more we train in mindfulness and meditation. Then there's the mind itself, jitta, consciousness. Gaya lahuta, jitta lahuta. The mental body, mind body is at ease, light. Jitta lahuta, the consciousness is light, at ease. Is the opposite of dukkha, basically. When we have mental dukkha, both mind, body, and consciousness feel heavy. In dukkha, the nature of dukkha is there's a heaviness, even if outwardly there's not much impingement necessarily. Inwardly, as we experience the body through the mind and experience consciousness itself, it's heavy, meaning it feels pressured feels like there's a weight on it, any form of dukkha, you know, when you feel sad or angry or lonely or when there's greed, ambition, some kind of strong desire in the mind. All of these experiences put pressure on the mind to make it feel more heavy. The sense of self is encouraged, strengthened. We don't feel light and at ease. We feel heavy, we feel uncomfortable in our own mind and in our mind-body. We even say it, don't we say, we feel uncomfortable inside our own skin when we have dukkha. We're not happy within ourselves. As we are meditating and observing this, we're contemplating this, what is a wholesome state of mind, what is unwholesome, what leads to a wholesome state of mind, what what leads to unwholesome states of mind. What are the advantages of wholesome states of mind? What are the disadvantages of unwholesome states of mind? Which is what, once you understand that, then you're clear that you want to let them go and give them up. There's all these qualities that, you know, first you can just read about, study, listen to, but then actually start to look at your own experience and compare your experience with what you've read. And tranquility of body and mind, lightness of body and mind. Another one is gaya mudutta, jitta mudutta. Sometimes it's softness or gentleness. Yeah, as you develop wholesome states of mind through the practice, develop more. Generosity, keep the precepts, practice mindfulness, investigate Dhamma. You know, the mind becomes more wholesome more often. You experience a, this sense of a, a softness of mind. And sometimes they talk about samadhi as the firmness of mind. And in one sense it is very firm, one-pointed, one-pointed on an object, unshakable. But its firmness 
together with a softness. So it sounds a bit like a contradiction, but just looking at it from different angles. When the mind is firm, it also becomes soft in the sense, can receive a sense impression, but without getting, without reacting with dukkha. So you might compare it to a little bit like something that's soft, say like a ball of cotton wool. You can press it, so it'll absorb the impression of your finger, uh, but it won't ruin the whole cotton ball of cotton wool, it'll just absorb that impression. The mind is a bit like that with the presence of wholesome states of mind, with mindfulness, with samadhi, with wisdom functioning. You might be able to receive pleasant or unpleasant sense impressions through your six senses. But the mind is soft enough, gentle enough that it doesn't just react, it doesn't just resist, doesn't just react automatically out of a lack of mindfulness with Kalesa. We might just be able to absorb that impression long enough to contemplate it. You might still let it go if it's something unpleasant or stimulating craving and attachment, you might let it go, but it's, there's enough softness, gentleness of mind, you can receive the impression, contemplate it, and then decide what, what you're going to do with it next. You notice, say, somebody, if they're very tense, angry, the mind is not at all soft, it's very f firm, but in a negative, unwholesome, unwholesome way. So just the slightest unpleasant thing in the eyes of that person will quickly lead to a, a reaction. You know, the mind is not soft enough, gentle enough to contemplate. You just react with more aversion, more aggression. Tense, tense body, tense mind. As we're practicing, the, the mind becomes more subtle, then it becomes gentler, softer. Another one that's very close to that is that it becomes malleable, the malleability of the mind, meaning it's workable and usable. If you're going to contemplate things to understand their true nature, to see an each dukkha anatta, understand the nature of your own body and mind, the candas and the world around us, you have to be able to work with the mind, it has to be workable, it has to be malleable. You're just like a skilled craftsmen, whether they're working with wood, timber or clay or any kind of art work, just using paint on a canvas or whatever, they're skilled because they've trained themselves to be able to work with the medium that they're working with, the, the, whatever it is, the clay or the wood or the, the metal, the stone, whatever. And when we went to Thailand last trip, saw those teak carvings of different teachings of the Buddha and of Ajahn Chah. You know, the, that craftsman has obviously worked to the point where they can skillfully chisel and carve wood, get it to go in the way they want, make the shapes that they want. In a way, you can say wood becomes malleable, workable because of their skill. And the mind is like that. If we train it in wholesome dhammas, as wholesome dhammas arise and are established, then we can work with things, meaning different karmic 
experiences that arise, pleasant, unpleasant, we can look at them, investigate them, work with them, from, look at them from different angles to understand them better so that we can free the mind from suffering. When there's not much, not many wholesome dhammas arising, you know, the mind is stiff. And when we have fixed views on things that we're not investigating, we're just stuck in and attached to some fixed view, the mind is not malleable, it's not workable yet. When the mind is stuck in its moods, happy, sad, angry, worried, fearful, greedy, whatever, when it's stuck in a mood, it's not workable, it's not malleable yet. It's like that, that car, that sculptor with the wood, when they started, probably his hands were very stiff, couldn't yet chisel very well into the wood, so maybe chisel too hard and break the wood off too quickly and ruin the picture, ruin the sculpture. Or too soft, doesn't get into the wood enough, so they still can't create a good image on the wood, a good sculpture. Mind is like that. At first it's either too soft, too hard, rejects things, or just attaches so much. You know, pleasant objects we attach to and want and get obsessed with. Unpleasant objects we just reject, get rid of as quick as possible. It's all too tough, too too fixed, too too hard, not yet workable. You know, Ajahn Chah said, when you train the mind in wholesome dhammas, you know, samadhi starts to arise, the mind feels easy, the body feels easy. He says, actually, the practice becomes fun enjoyable, even unpleasant experiences, in a way they're enjoyable. Not because it's like you're a masochist who just wants pain and difficulty. It's enjoyable because your mind is in a workable position. It can actually stop and contemplate something, understand it better, and choose whether to uh, absorb it or let it go. Just understand it better without being caught up in it and suffering with it. They said, vipassana, when the mind is trained, the wholesome dhammas are established and mindfulness and wisdom are working, it's actually fun, enjoyable. Even enjoyable in the sense sometimes contemplating something unpleasant like pain in your leg or your back. But because you're treating it as Dhamma, something to be contemplated and the mind is calm, tranquil, workable, gentle, soft, it's able to contemplate a pain and let go of the kalesa that forms around it. The sense of self, the attachment, the aversion and so on. That's enjoyable because you can actually see yourself letting go of kalesa, letting go of the cause of suffering as you meditate as you practice. This is the nature of you know, the mind as it becomes more wholesome. These different factors, mental factors arise more and more and they have bring with them their own benefit to the mind, to the practice. There's many other mental factors you could go on talk about. Yes. The apamanya mental factors, you know, just kindness, uh, compassion, sympathetic joy, 
in the Brahma Viharas. Equanimity is one Tatra Machatata. Tatra Machata. Middleness of mind, evenness of mind, the equanimity where your mind with all these other qualities together the mind can be maintained in an even state as one contemplates, as one experiences sense objects, the mind is not shaken out of its even state. So all the Brahmaviharas are there in these wholesome mental factors, wholesome mental states. And obviously wisdom, non-delusion. So as we practice, we're learning to develop <coughs> wholesome mental states. Some of them we're developing all the time. Faith, shame, fear of the consequences of wrongdoing. Some we're bringing up from time to time. Sometimes we practice, consciously practice the Brahma-viharas. Spread thoughts of metta, compassion. Sometimes we direct the mind to investigate Dhamma, developing wisdom, insight. Sometimes we're just calming the mind. These other qualities are coming up. Lightness of mind, lightness of body. But sometimes it's worth just reminding ourselves of what a peaceful mind, a wholesome state of mind involves. What it, what conditions it arising, what causes it, conditions it to arise, what it feels like as an experience. Keep learning that so that you can keep directing your efforts in the right way, in the right direction. Obviously sometimes we get it wrong and we hit the wrong spot. And we, some aspect of our practice is actually leading us into more misery, more suffering, more unhappiness of mind. Sometimes we try too hard in one area push ourselves too hard. Sometimes it's to do with not eating enough, not sleeping enough, cutting out this, cutting out that. Other times we go the other way, it's too indulgent. And we don't establish mindfulness at all, we don't even try. We just follow our moods and desires, kind of drift around the monastery, not really establishing much clarity. And we tend towards these two extremes have to keep re reviewing our practice, our state of mind, keep learning and if aspiring to develop more of these wholesome qualities. And it's not just from sitting meditation alone, also other activities one can develop. When you look at Lumpur Liam, spends a lot of time working, traveling around, leading building projects, building monasteries, he can go all day, maybe even all night, and he doesn't lose that, these wholesome qualities as he's doing these activities. He's a lightness of body and mind, keeps his mindfulness. It's not always that you have to be sitting formally or walking formally. Some monks prefer to sit, some monks prefer to walk. When I first ordained, being a monk a few years, had a friend who could couldn't sit at all, he's always falling asleep, but he could walk for hours. He might walk eight hours a day. 
all through the day and at night he'd walk and he'd get very peaceful very quickly walking so he was experiencing this lightness of body lightness of mind even though he would be tired from walking it wouldn't bother him could carry on walking all through the day very very peaceful got very concentrated very easily just through walking but he couldn't sit very well at all other monks just like to sit and don't walk much and other monks do some sitting some walking we have to learn through our experience what supports the arising of wholesome dhammas what reflections help what amount of reading and listening to dhamma what activities some activities support this some distract us and just take our mind to more unwholesome states everybody is slightly different so we have to learn for ourselves through the practice anyway i'll leave you with these reflections tonight